welcome to the third episode in our Countdown to the IFPR and the New Pay Rules podcast series. I'm Juliet Graham, a Managing Associate in the Employee Incentive team here in London. And I'm Kate Crompton, also a Managing Associate in the team. As I just said, this is our third and final episode in this podcast series. In the first episode, we looked at the pay rules and the new mifid approved remuneration code, which will apply for performance periods starting on or after the 1st of January 2022. In the second episode, we looked at proportionality and how it affects the level of required compliance. Basically, the larger the firm, the more rules you have to comply with, so there's more you need to prepare. We also looked at some tricky issues in the areas of governance and policy. For more details on all this, you can, of course, listen to the previous episodes. In this episode, we're going to look at some more tricky issues, this time in the payout process rules and for material risk takers, known as MRTs. And we'll wind things up with a checklist of things to consider and the document you need so you can start complying. So what do we mean by payout process rules? These rules, in effect, restrict how and when variable pay is paid to MRTs so that it's not all paid in cash or all paid up front. Broadly, these require that at least 50% of MRT's variable pay is in shares or other non-cash instruments, and 40 to 60% of variable pay is deferred over at least three years. The FCA have kept the variable pay threshold at which you need to move to 60% deferral at £500,000, as was the case under CRD4 and now applies under CRD5. And the FCA guidance is that it may be appropriate for the deferral period to be longer than three years for the most senior MRTs, for example, members of the management body. Next, what does shares or other non-cash instruments mean? The MIFID approved code has a detailed description, but it comes down to shares, share-linked instruments and other non-cash, including phantom instruments, which reflect the value of the managed portfolio. It's interesting that the latter includes phantoms, i.e. rights to receive cash. Common equity tier instruments that meet certain conditions can be used too. And another point of interest is that depending on the legal structure of the firm, shares and share linked instruments could be equivalent ownership interests or equivalent non-cash instruments. If the firm does not issue any instruments which fall within the above categories, you can apply to the FCA for a modification to permit using alternative arrangements, but you need to explain in detail the proposed alternatives and the FCA will have to be satisfied that using these alternatives would not adversely affect the FCA's objectives. Thanks, Juliet. As a brief reminder, the FCA's objectives are that remuneration policies and practices should help support prudential soundness and risk management in firms, and they should also ensure appropriate outcomes for customers and markets, and so reduce the likelihood of harm. Going back to shares or share-linked instruments, a potential problem here could occur in a group situation where a firm is using shares or share-linked instruments in the group parent. This is only possible if the value of the shares or instruments tracks the value of an equivalent ownership interest in the firm itself. So what do you do if you're part of a banking group and your parent company shares do not reflect the value of the firm? But remember, the payout process rules, including these potentially tricky requirements to pay in shares or other non-cash instruments, only apply to the larger non-SNI firms. That is, those above the proportionality threshold we looked at in episode two. And there is another way out. MRTs with variable pay of no more than £167,000, which is no more than one third of their total pay, can be exempt from the payout process rules, even if they work for a non-SNI firm above the proportionality threshold. 
This get out of jail card is called the de minimis exemption and depends on the individual's pay. Some nuances around the de minimis exemption include how to deal with people who fulfil MRT roles who join or leave partway through a performance year and those who move in and out of MRT roles partway through the year. The latter are still employees, but they are not MRTs for the whole year. The amount of variable pay, which will be MRT pay, could impact whether the payout process rules can be disapplied using the de minimis exemption. There is no FCA guidance on this for the IFPR, but there is guidance for the banking sector. The PRA has said that where an existing employee moves into an MRT role and is in the MRT role for part of the year, it may be appropriate to apply the payout process rules to a portion of pay that relates to the MRT part of the year only. Another point here is that you must also include any guaranteed variable remuneration in variable pay, for example, the sign-on bonus, and this could well change the figures. Clearly, all this requires close checking of roles and the pay applicable to MRT roles when you have changes in scope, joiners and leavers. And how do you even decide who is a material risk taker? The clue is in the name. These are staff whose professional activities have a material impact on the firm's risk profile or the assets it manages. For those familiar with CRD4 and CRD5 identification criteria, there's a surprise here. Just the level of pay does not make someone an MRT. This is what's called quantitative criteria. The FCA have said they don't consider it a reliable indicator of the level of risk involved in a role. So the focus is on identifying relevant roles, the qualitative criteria in CRD speak. The MIFID Pro code lists criteria of staff which must be identified as MRTs. This includes members of the management and supervisory bodies, senior management, and those of managerial responsibility for business units carrying out certain regulated activities and control functions. The FCA also lists roles where it would expect staff to be MRTs, such as heads of investment research. The term control function is defined and is intended to cover a function which is separate and independent from the business it controls, such as risk, internal audit or compliance. But of course there may be others. What about HR or legal functions? The FCA is clear that it's up to each firm to develop their own additional criteria to identify further MRTs based on their activities and risk relevant to the firm. The list of criteria included in the code is a starting point and must not be treated as exhaustive. As we've said, any individual who has a material impact on the risk profile of the firm or of the assets it manages should be identified as an MRT. And you cannot limit MRTs to firm employees or contractors. You need to check those employed or contracted by other entities and those located abroad who still provide services to the firm. MRTs must be identified annually, and the FCA has in fact published templates for firms to record their MRTs and information about them, such as the primary criteria under which they were identified as MRTs, their remuneration, their fixed to variable pay ratio, and so on. Thanks, Juliet. Before we leave the topic of tricky issues, let's look at the overlap of the IFPR and IFD rules. Although they are similar overall, there are differences in implementation. So if you're operating in the UK and across the EU and have regulated entities subject to either the IFT or IFPR, beware. Some details of divergence may be surprising. We spoke earlier as to how MLTs are identified. Under IFD, there are quantitative criteria too. 
Another example is treatment of dividends during deferral periods. Under the IFD, firms must not pay dividends or interest on any instruments issued as deferred variable pay. This includes not accruing dividends or interest and paying them at the end of the deferral period. But under IFPR, there is no such prohibition. MLTs will be allowed to accrue interest and dividends on deferred remuneration and receive payment at the end of the deferral period, subject to certain conditions. That's right. And another difference is that the de minimis exemption, which allows an MRT to fall outside the payout process rules, is higher in the UK. As we've said, UK MRTs can be exempt from the payout process rules if they have no more than £167,000 of variable pay and if it's less than one third of their total pay. The IFD sets this at €50,000 if this is less than one quarter of the MRT's total pay. And of course, local regulators in the EU may apply the IFD somewhat differently too. The public and regulatory disclosures on MRT pay are also likely to be somewhat different. So in practice, the regimes applying to your MRTs and asset manager entities in different jurisdictions may be different in detail. This could lead to some complications for any dual role MRTs or as staff move between jurisdictions. Let's finish off by looking at a checklist of actions and documents that would be a good idea to have in place for your 2022 performance year. A good place to start is a gap analysis, setting out the MIFIPRU rules which apply to you and the status of your current compliance. This will immediately identify any gaps and what you need to do. Second, are you an SNI or a non-SNI firm? If the latter, are you above the proportionality level? Third, do you need a remuneration committee? If so, can you use an existing one in the group and will there be any knock-on effects? If you're using an existing Remco, you should review the terms of reference of the committee as they may need changing. Next on the list, have you worked out your fixed variable pay ratio? What factors should you take into account? Are you going to have different ratios for different grades? When will you review the ratios? Then, what about the core documents you'll need? For example, remuneration policy, deferral mechanisms, malice and clawback policy. There's quite a bit to do with MRTs. You'll need a table setting out the criteria relevant to your firm and the staff identified under each criteria, along with the relevant analysis. You also need a letter to send to your MRTs explaining the new regime and how it will affect them. A short FAQ document could be useful here. Remember that all this will make a big difference to the pay those MRTs receive, so their employment arrangements will need to be changed to reflect this. It's a good idea to prepare for the public and regulatory disclosures which you will need to make, but perhaps we should leave it there. Clearly there's a lot to get on top of. And there's just one month left to prepare, so please do get in touch if you'd like to discuss any of the topics we've spoken about today or in the previous episodes in more detail, or if you'd like our help in implementing the Mifid Free Pay Rules. Thanks for listening. Thanks, Juliet.